Afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. And another Friday. So I hope you've got the Friday feeling. Uh, I know that uh, it tends to be a fairly lively show with interactions. I don't know if more of you are available live or more of you just happen to heckle on Fridays. I'm not sure. But uh, thank you for your interaction as ever. And I'm looking forward to your engagement on this, which is a really interesting topic. Delighted to have a guest uh, in the lobby, which I'll be bringing in in a second uh, to discuss a topic that was kind of requested from social media a few weeks ago. It kind of bubbled over that there was some myths perpetuating around the link between, or lack of, between race, ethnicity, pain. And uh, we did talk about it on the show in terms of my very superficial knowledge of that topic and, and how we need to make sure we don't let those things perpetuate. Um, but it was recommended to me, that was this lady, uh, Jackie Walombi. I'm sorry for mispronouncing that, uh, Jackie. You have to put me right uh, straight away. Um, but I wanted to chat to her a little bit about the detail because it's something that she's uh, she's thought on before and it's uh, someone that studies not just that but also other topics in and around pain particularly. And so I want to ask you guys, as you know, I always start with a question as to whether or not this is something that you feel you've seen either historically or recently as to whether or not you see these things being perpetuated and, and whether they are prevalent or not, uh, whether it's something that's sort of new to you and surprises you that we're even considering them to still be out there uh, but yeah definitely i want to hear your thoughts and comments i know what you like when a guest is on you're sometimes a little quieter to to get going um but certainly we're going to be interested in your thoughts in, in in this topic it's a challenging one it's something that's sort of fraught with complexity in many ways and and, and feels unsafe sometimes to talk about but hopefully we provide something where feel free to ask any questions that you have any comments but particularly in and around whether or not you see these things yourself be that in practice or historically so without further ado let me hopefully smoothly bring in jackie hi jackie can you hear us yep i can hear you fantastic so okay. would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners to start off with then please Sure, sure. Um, so I'm Jackie Walumbe. Um, you did did a good effort on that. Um, <laughs> I am a physiotherapist uh, by background. I am also a doctoral researcher um, and I work in the field of chronic pain management or, or long-term complex pain management um, in an inpatient setting. And I've previously worked in inner city London um, in an MSK type of service, focusing on long-term pain. Um, and I suppose that's where my interest in kind of issues around culture, ethnicity, race and pain came up. Um, yeah. So that's me. I suppose what I, and, and it might be something better suited for those that recommended it. But uh, what, what is it about your work that made you on the tip of everyone's tongue when this topic came up on, on social media? Do, do, do you know why that might be? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but, but I suppose... Um, I suppose what happens is um, I am a member of the Chartered Society of Physio BAME network. So that is a, um, it's not a professional network, but it's a, a group of people who, because of our kind of identifying characteristics, we, we have a, a support network. And one of the conversations on there, I think this is where the, the, the tweet came from. One of the conversations was around uh, a member who had experienced a really quite, distressing encounter with a colleague where they the, the person I don't remember the exact details but the person had kind of inferred that uh, a certain group of people have a different perception of pain I believe it was Asians have a different perception of pain therefore why are you even bothering or something along those lines and and this person didn't feel able to kind of uh 
you know, push back against that kind of statement because this person was more senior and kind of used research as a as a pushback and said, you know, well, the research shows this, so therefore, what's the argument? And I suppose because this person felt like in a position of, of, of a lack of power, I kind of reflected and and thought that well I do I am in a position of power because um, because of my seniority uh, maybe there's not as much um, exposure for me you know there's not as much risk for me talking about this topic so maybe that's one of the reasons I may have come up on people's tongues and I suppose the other is um, I suppose chipping away in the background as the at these kind of um, stereotypes that I think affect how patients that I see end up with a poor um poor service or poor quality of care mm, no that's that's fascinating and, and certainly i think uh, one of the reasons for me asking that question is because it, it was really interesting for me to then look into your body of work to realize that that, that understanding the sort of relevance of culture on social variables uh, in terms of outcomes but also why that is is certainly very relevant because what it seemed like particularly on that which is one of several stereotypes that might perpetuate is that it's sort of it's inferred that that's emerged from the data and it's just like well we've got to talk about these data points without but actually what they're doing is they're inferring causation to mm. this this what's already a contested correlation so could we just go into just don't need to get stuck in the weeds on that particular one example but why uh, is it that there's a, a myth like that might perpetuate so in this instance it was sort of the notion that south asians have a higher uh, pain sensitivity i think was the sort of um, i may even paraphrasing but why does something like that even emerge well i think that's a that's quite a lofty um question without without knowing about it but in response, I think we need to think about how people have been categorized in the past. So, you know, there is that issue of race. So you can categorize people based on their race or people can identify based on their ethnicity. And of course, even within any particular um, outwardly facing race, there are different cultures and things like that. So so I think when people kind of are grouped into, into different uh groups for want of a better word, we have to look at where those groupings come from. So if you think about the race kind of category, I think this is where I find um, it, there's the most, um, there's a risk here because race as a category has always been used to other. You know, it was never used to, to kind of, in a scientific way, it was always used as a way to elevate one group over the other to justify practices that were not necessarily great for example slavery and things like that so for me race as a biological construct has been debunked and that has been done by scientists in such a thorough way that whenever i see something that says south asians do this i think what do you mean by that what's your categorization you know south asians this huge huge kind of body of people you know do you mean culturally do you mean by the color of their skin, which is quite, you know, that is dodgy territory we're on. And I think the issue we have is people aren't thinking critically about the phrases that they're using. They're just throwing it out there. So I'll give you an example. So I am a black woman. I am visually identified out there as a black person. I can't hide it. It's kind of what you see when you see me, but you can't categorize me alongside every other black individual that 
has ever existed or existed on this earth. I'm I'm from Kenya, was born in Kenya, so that's one categorization for me. I am an immigrant, so I immigrated to this country. I spent a lot of time in Manchester, so some people might say I'm a Mancunian. I've spent a long time in London, so I'm a Londoner. So you, you do have to kind of deep dig a, deep, a bit deeper when you're thinking about these categories. Mm, no, that's absolutely fascinating because that, that identity piece has come up in, in so many different ways on the show and beyond, of course, and, and very topical. And I think that that category error that you're describing is just sort of se so central to it, where if in any given, especially when there's such inconsistency in the research, whereby some, for some reason, um, you know, sometimes uh, it, it, let's give benefit of the doubt and saying it's clumsiness, whereas in other cases it's it's clearly there's something that, that they should know far better. But for whatever reason, it's been delineated by an ethnic uh, ethnicity or, or or race, and then the inference that comes from when that data, regardless of what that shows, it's a category error often underneath it, and therefore the, the conclusions drawn from any data points there have an illegitimacy from the off. Um, and so that's one of the things that when I've, when I've, albeit briefly thought on this topic, is a frustration that realistically that there's, there's no credibility to that regardless of what it shows. And so for that to then be weaponized sometimes, um, especially considering its fraught history, that's where we've got to then be especially careful. And we should be accurate and aspire to accuracy across any evidence-based practice. But in this instance, it's kind of, the, the the sensitivity around it is rightly um it, it's quite rightly high what's your what do you feel are the uh because the anecdote that we've been that's been sort of shared with us a little on on social media is, is just one of course of, of many that can we can understand how that how that could really uh, affect especially in this instance as a student feeling uncomfortable in that instance but when it comes to patient care if if there were even a small percentage of therapists that sort of even allowed that to take their reasoning, could we just unpack a little bit about how that could be deleterious to, to outcomes and also to the credibility of, of therapists? Yeah, I, th I think like um, a, t a typical kind of example that, that we kind of see might be, um, say in a, in a hospital environment, for those of anyone who works in a hospital, if you go up to see a patient and they kind of, um, and you're asking them to report their pain, and they say, I'm in, I'm in significant amounts of pain today. I don't feel able to take part in, in a particular activity. Now, so if the person, um, so the therapist makes an assumption about that, that patient, you know, they go, okay, because of my visual categorization and like you said, a category error. And I say, say you are in a racial group that I have decided means that you might be over egging it in your pain report. So I go, ah. Oh, you're being a bit dramatic and I kind of keep pushing and I make you, you know, join me in the therapeutic encounter. So first of all, you've already kind of, you know, you, you've misassessed, you're not assessing that pain properly. So there's a risk there that you, you might miss something that is of, you know, serious pathology or a, a fracture or anything like that. The other thing is around therapeutic alliances, you know, with pain, we always know that pain is whatever the person reports it to be there we do not have objective measures of pain we have subjective representations and subjective ways of talking about pain so if I'm not able to believe th that the person in front of me is telling me that they're struggling and they're in pain how am I going to then um, set up a kind of an intervention 
because my initial assumptions are already colored. So if I think of an example, when I was working in outpatients, you know, we, we had a group of women, so Arabic women who seemed to have more persistent pain, more widespread pain. And what would happen is when the, we, we did an audit and found that our Asian patients, um, so our, our sorry, Arabic women represented quite a huge number of people in the service, but they did not, they were not getting referred onto the pain management service or the pain management program. Right. So there was a gap there. There was clearly a need, but there was, we're not referring them on. And so we spoke to some of the therapists and they, and they kind of said, well, they don't speak the language. So what's the point? You know, that they're just being a bit dramatic. So what's the point? So I think that's where then care gets compromised because fair enough, the people delivering the program had to do some kind of tweaks to make it culturally competent and available for our patients. But but missing the opportunity to, to even send someone on, I think that's an issue. Mm, absolutely, and, uh, and 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 even if that person is making a judgment call on whether or not that person's uh, appropriate for that service because of language barriers, etc., that is not something that should be a barrier to referral. If that is clinical best practice, it's like a they are they're almost playing the politics themselves and, and allowing it to to affect their their clinical judgment which isn't cool but in this in this instance when um when there are those and, and this is where i suppose less almost the research uh, uh data uh, from trial data say but more from audit data from a, a clinical uh, a, a clinical department when we're teasing that out, um, that's something that's not has certainly been central to a lot of your thinking that I've then read in prep for this, really, is that you've then looked at what, what are the relevant variables qualitatively across cultures that might influence that. Um, what, what do you feel are the, are the big hitting features that, you, that have emerged from your work that sort of inform uh, the, the cultural differences and how they're relevant to pain? So, so I think um, I'd, I'd probably like step away from from my own work, which hasn't been extensive. It's been quite explorative, but but look at some of the big hitters in the area. So if if we're looking at um, you know, so the culture of pain, this this notion of pain is not a, a well, I mean, this is probably a bit controversial, but pain is not necessarily just a biological construct. So a huge part of it is in making meaning and understanding and, and interpretation. Therefore, an individual's kind of basis of how they make sense of the world is going to contribute to, to pain experiences. So if somebody, um, I think where culture is important is, it is so much more important for me than ethnicity because ethnicity is telling us um, a little bit about that individual and their identity. But what culture is telling us is how does this person interpret, you know, these sensations or, or this experience that they're having? So if you think about sports people, that for me is a culture. So sports people have a culture of ignoring pain in all certain circumstances when it suits them, because the culture there is that, you know, this is not so bad because I can achieve more by battering my body. There's also the culture of pain within sports people that might be, I might need to overemphasize my pain to make sure that I'm, I don't know, I'm not very good at sports, but taken out of a football game, for example. So you can see that the culture is important in interpreting 
what is going on. And so therefore, if you transfer that into your clinic or into your 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 clinical practice, culture is it's it's an it's something that you need to elicit from the individual. You cannot infer that by looking at them because you're making judgments. You know, if, if I look at you, for example, I might make judgments about you, but I've no idea unless I ask you the questions in a sensitive and curious manner. Most people in the world are interested in having a discussion or a conversation as long as it's based on curiosity and it, it doesn't feel um, unsafe. Mm. That, that that's that assumptiveness or judgment is it i don't even know if assumptiveness is a word there jackie sorry but the judgment that can come from from people trying to almost do shortcuts be that for time or you know uh, be that conscious or unconscious ignorance where you might just feel like you a shorthand for culture might be me guessing based on things that maybe you've not even told me maybe that's on the referral for some reason because that's what the coding system says so you're making guesses that can then lead to uh, you, you think that that should inform your reasoning when it when it shouldn't, and so yeah, that cultural competence is talked about quite a lot at the moment, and I think that's a phrase I'm certainly uh, really interested in because that all the various features and factors affecting experience, pain or otherwise, we now know it. We're maturing into recognizing that it's far more complex than we ever used to realize. Never mind just beyond tissues, but also beyond uh, even some of the. You know, that done done badly. It was just like, well, is it making you anxious or depressed? It was sort of sort of like these these low hanging fruit features, which were better than tissue centricity, but actually never went much deeper. When when it comes to um, the NHS and it comes to outcome data uh, that demonstrates um, uh, gaps in 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 the uh, in the success of, of interventions that seem to then be whichever way and as we say fraught with category error but when it sort of seemed to be differences in outcome is that that statistical difference something that's really difficult for people to see past if they think in that way if they're sort of a bit empirically minded perhaps that they think look yes we can think about why that might be but essentially these are the facts of the matter is that something that seems to have some clout that makes this work more challenging um, yes, definitely. I think, um, particularly, I think as physiotherapists um, or, or people who work with physical therapies, they may not have interrogated their own kind of position as much as um, some of our colleagues say in the social sciences have. So, for example, when I was trained, there wasn't a there was no conversation about truth or, or non-truth. It was just that's anatomy and that's. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. so I think when we start thinking about the ways in which we know, um, the ways in which um, which are privileged of knowing in physiotherapy, that is statistical significance and numbers and things like that. But when we're talking about people, um, like you said, even so in, in, a, in a pain management service, for example, where I work, we, we use a lot of psychometric um, questionnaires to kind of evaluate outcome. But I think what we're recognizing is, you know, I think someone has, has some people talk about, well, it's not been translated, but the, the psychometric questionnaires in themselves have been developed in a very specific cultural context with very specific ways of thinking. Those researchers made decisions about what questions to include and how to word them based on the population that they were working with at the time. So even when we try and use those psychometric questionnaires 
on the general population, we've already lost something because mm. a lot of the time you might find patients right, you know, in between the the sentences. So say you've got a yes, no answer. They go, well, that doesn't apply to me. So I want to add something extra. Here's my free text. Yeah, yeah. What they're telling you is there's more to me than than the options you've given me. Mm. So so for me, this idea of of valuing a different way of knowing, so using qualitative methods, for example, so narrative. So a patient telling me their narrative for me is, is probably more powerful than them rating their pain out of 10, because what does that mean? I'm more interested in them telling me, give me, give me some substance, give me some context of your life, and I can work with that. Um, what we find is, you know, for example, if, if services are rated on their their psychometric you know documents or eq5dl and things like that then you have a problem of how are people processing that information how are they if you work in a multicultural area you might not maybe you work in an in an area with with, with more of a monoculture but even within that you know your slightly older patients might interpret that a little bit differently so i think i'm in a position of with physical therapies in general we're so embedded in the, I suppose, in the in the physical and 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 almost in the sense of the physical sciences, but we're forgetting the biology and the you know the environment and things like that. So I'm not I'm not at all sure if I'm answering your question, but just randomly. No, no, it's, no, you're not at all. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and you're well on well on theme. We're getting some great questions and quite and comments coming in, which is fantastic. And uh, Laura Stewart saying great example, Jackie. And it was you know it was really hard. It's it doesn't it when you give a, a case study almost like that also Kath Piper said Jackie your comment regarding culture is so apt thank you it's made me think differently a question that came in from Mohit on Twitter he said most of the pain management program resources also also like being available in various languages whilst to some extent I think that there is a, a bit of lip service that can get paid where thinking translation is everything however it is a relevant barrier still isn't it yeah, and, and I know that, that there's lots of work that, um, so earlier on, we spend a lot of our, so when I say we, the, the metaphorical we, is I worked with a psychologist throughout my, my time, and I've been very lucky, lucky to have that kind of resource. So a lot of the questions came up around, okay, let's just translate. So all our questionnaires were translated. Right. But then what we found was, just what almost what I said before, is the meaning was not getting was not coming through so so i think yes there is something about translation existing knowledge um so i suppose i could think about um you know explain pain resources mm -hmm. but for me there's something further than that that you know as a as a dominant culture we could choose to um, impose what we know on the people we're seeing or we could be more collaborative. So instead of translating information that I've decided is important for you to understand, perhaps I might need to step back a little bit and say, could you tell me what's important for you to know? And then perhaps we can co-create some, some resources that are relevant for this group. So that might not be something you can do for a whole service, but if you're located in a, in a village or in a specific area, you will know your local community. So I suppose what I'm saying here is that even things like pain management programs, for me, need to be looked at with a critical eye and say, who were these developed for? In what context? 
and when and the world changes and do we perhaps need to have a slightly different conversation of let me understand my community and then let's find out what would be helpful for them to make meaning of their pain i'll stop <laughs> no that's great because i think one of the things that is especially when everyone feels like it's a it's a, a fast-moving treadmill and they're trying to constantly adapt then it's retrofitting the system to new emergent phenomena that we've been ignorant of this and so in, instead of having that that the more efficient way would be to just sort of instead of trying to adapt something that's not fit for purpose instead let's let's strip that back and work out let's put this patient back at the center of it rather than trying to retrofit and whilst challenging and, and, and certainly i'm not underestimating it's it's labor intensive in many ways but the rewards are enormous and also when you have come to realize that it's an ethical imperative to realize that what all of these things are there to serve the health of the public and for the patients and for us to help them rehabilitate and recover or whatever our role is as, as health professionals and so i think that that taking the low-hanging fruit and thinking oh good point let's translate it or let's let's just try and cookie cut this that's working here and, and just cross our fingers that it works there is something that's very very clumsy one of the things i wanted to just uh, run by you and I, I'm, I'm struggling maybe to forgive me if i articulate this badly but one of the things I've seen is some people with the best of intentions, and this is, I'm carrying an opinion with this, admittedly, but with the best of intentions, there are people that seem to then be um, stereotyping um, based on culture that's then almost on a, in a relativistic way when they would challenge in their own wheelhouse they would if they had a patient that was saying, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to opt for homeopathy then they would find themselves wanting to at least hopefully respectfully say, well, this is why, you know, that sits outside of not just my scope of practice, but what I would recommend for this problem. Yet, when it's something that they think it's the compassionate thing to do if someone brought in something that's of a, of a different culture where they feel instinctively it's, it's similarly nonsense, for want of a better term, to them like homeopathy, but because it's something of a different culture, they then instead say, who, who am I to then offer my opinion in a, in a scientific direction relative to that? And so one of the things I've been concerned about is that I can see where that comes from, but I also think that there's actually that that is poor practice and actually not in the patient's best interest, and, and that sometimes a bit of cowardice creeps in where it's not actually sensitive at all. So again, I'm sorry if I've misarticulated that, uh, but I just wondered if you'd given any thought in that direction. No, I, th I think I know what you mean. Um, so there's this idea, this concept of fetish, I'm gonna see if I, uh, fetishizing culture. So, so making it other. So remember, I think for me, medicine is a culture. You know, there's, you know, like you said, your example of homeopathy. So within the culture of biomedicine, homeopathy is a little bit mental. You know, we're not going to lie, but people outside of that culture might perceive it very differently. So for me, I don't necessarily think we should be tiptoeing around these conversations of broader culture if they come from a, a more exotic um, lens, so to speak, because if we're comfortable with having those conversations, say, around, for me, for example, I find it very difficult to, to talk to my patients about acupuncture because I think, what? But I, I, I'm able to kind of hold my own views as a, like you said, it's a relative perspective. And in terms of pain, 
as long as I'm comfortable that there's no harm in the truest sense, um, not, not in a metaphorical, strange way, but if I'm not causing harm, is it possible for me to, to sit back on my position and find a way to offer something within my scope and within my comfort zone and say, look, I cannot offer you acupuncture, for example, um, have you, and then I, I might put my position forward, you know, these are the kind of things I'm interested in, is this something you can see being helpful for you? So if, if, if we're able to step back and not make things so exotic when we talk about culture, I think that opens up the possibility of having conversations with people, um, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. That's uh, that's really great. I'm, I'm glad it. Uh, I was able to spit it out in such a way because your answers uh, told me that the question did land. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much for those that have commented as we go. I've just to read a few out here. Laura Stewart said the metaphors we use in pain are not well translated at all. I agree, Jackie. The cultural competence is key. Kath Piper has said this discussion on, imp on imposition is important as it pervades healthcare across all patient experiences. Challenging our thinking regarding culture and imposition can be beneficial to all patients. So thank you guys for that. I noticed that we are out of time. I could go on and on and on. This is such a fascinating topic. And, and uh, Jackie, I hope we can speak again in any context, really, because you know I feel like I've so much to learn from you, as I'm sure the audience does as well. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, especially having uh, we, we've not we've not met and not really interacted until uh, was, you were sprung upon me on, on Twitter. So I really appreciate uh, the, the short notice as well. Um, so where do people find a little more about you? Uh, not 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 very many places, but I suppose the easiest place is Twitter. Um, I my handle is Nabwala W. I don't say very much, but um, I do try and signpost people to more. Uh, different ways of seeing the world so yeah come along no, well, thank you thank you for for all you've done today but also all your other work it's been interesting as i say for me to have a little look into that and to, to open my eyes to what is a very important topic not just right now but also at the heart of it better for patient care if we were to all be more thoughtful in this direction so i really appreciate it and uh, have a lovely weekend you too bye thanks everyone take care bye. Thank you.